Hi everyone and welcome back to another episode of Humans of ID. This is episode 2. In today's episode, me, Ziad and Angeliki are going to discuss matters of academic jargon, inclusive language and audience relatability. So the theme of uh, this episode came from a blog post called Who Knows What? The Pitfalls of Academic Jargon that our fellow PhD student Pauline published recently as part of her academic journey. And we'll link that in uh, our description if you want to go read Pauline's blog and support her more generally. So we thought what could be a fun thing to start is to talk in as many different languages to see how many languages we could say hello in because the theme of today's episode is accessibility and we feel it's important to understand that we all come from diverse backgrounds and people coming to LSE from around the globe will feel welcome. Without further ado, I'll hand over to Angeliki. Oh, that was a great intro, Ziyad. Thank you so much. And I really like this game of saying hello to different languages. So we'll start first with Greek, as is my mother language. So, yes, as you can see, this is in English, hello and welcome to another podcast. And I will try out in French. Salut and bienvenue sur notre podcast. And I hand over to you, Zia. Oh, gosh. Let's see. Let's. I'll just stick with, like, welcome greeting. For Greek, I only know good morning, good afternoon, good night. It's like, kalimera, kalispera, and kalinichta. Am I right? That was amazing, actually. Obviously, we're saying in English, hello and welcome to the podcast. Hola in Spanish. Bonjour. Guten Tag in German. Think of more languages. Let's see. Ciao. Buongiorno. So Italians. I think Sawadika is Thai in Thai. Jumbo in Swahili. Merhaba for Merhaba. Arabs. Of course. Yeah. Merhaba. For Arabs, wherever you may be. What else have we got? Hello in Hindi is Namaste, obviously. And from South Africa, Hukhana. How are you? It's nice to meet everyone. Oh, wow. So that is our little game of accessibility for everyone. We hope you all feel well from wherever you may be listening. That was a very interesting game. And Ziyad's thought on this game is, is mainly to introduce our theme for this episode, which, as Ziyad mentioned, is academic jargon. But it comes along with inclusivity and academic language and understanding, as already mentioned, the different backgrounds and the diverse experiences that LSE students have. And students in general in any academic institution. So what about start discussing on our theme and understanding the language and the audience of academia? To start with, the definition of educational jargon being defined as the use of specific acronyms, words or phrases used by educators. And I would like to ask you, Ziyad, if according to, of course, Pauline's blog and her experiences, if you ever felt embarrassed of not knowing in a lecture what the professor is discussing about and what did you do in order to overcome this barrier? I think for me I, I didn't really have a background in any social sciences so economics or politics or anthropology. One of the first modules for us in development was sort of the key issues in development so sort of outlining everything and I'll be honest in saying initially I was just completely stumped. There was all these words and phrases and massive sort of bodies of text to kind of like read through. I tried to be honest with myself and with the professor and I was just like, I need help about how to, you know, tackle these things because I, I felt that maybe other people knew how to do it, whereas I maybe didn't. So I asked the professor and there was also LSE life workshops and things like that. So I felt it was good to be proactive in doing that and being honest that, you know, I need help to, to say, 
see, you know, like this is how you read through an article. This is how you highlight words that maybe you're not familiar with. This is how you maybe, you know, go about doing all of these things. Because for me, coming from sort of a science background, it was a different ball game and I had to kind of, you know, adjust my way of thinking and doing things. So I think it's important to be honest and know that you're not alone in, you know, feeling that way. And it was really helpful to be honest sooner rather than later, I found. I completely agree with you, actually. And, you know, thinking that out of 7,000 postgraduate students at LSE, the 6,000 are overseas students, it's really important to understand all these different academic backgrounds and undergraduate studies. For example, myself, I was struggling because my undergrad was four years ago and it was in Greece, very different academic context. I also had the language barrier, but at the same time, introducing to all of these acronyms used in, in UK education, higher education, and being able to grasp concepts because a full-time master's is very fast-paced. It's quite challenging. And as you mentioned, it's really important to be open and discuss with the professors, send out emails, don't be embarrassed. You should reach out. You should use all available resources that LSE offers. Discuss with fellow students and understand where you're coming from. There are always different kinds of opportunities to develop yourself. But I think that the first step, which is the most important one, is to ask as many questions as you can. And when something doesn't make sense, you should reach out and be able to communicate and ask questions in order to understand concepts. As you mentioned, LSE Life, which is at LSE with many resources, how you can develop your academic skills, how to read papers, how to communicate with professors, attend workshops, events, and be familiar and feel comfortable with academic uh, language, actually. I completely agree with you. And as well, I haven't been gone to an undergrad or experienced it in another country or in a different language. And I was really impressed. Uh, someone in my consultancy group, uh, when she was showing us uh, uh, how she used uh, Zotero for her dissertation, it was in, in a completely different language. And now you're coming to LSE and you're writing essays and a dissertation in English, maybe not your first language. And you're expected to know all these new words and new phrases. And I think from me, as someone who's not bilingual or trilingual as many people are, is, you know, it's super impressive just on itself to be in LSE and to be doing all of these things. It shouldn't be, you know, a problem to not seek help. Yeah, of course. I think that Pauline also touched base on her blog and she actually did a very small experiment herself. She used chat GDP for that and she actually, if I remember correctly, asked GDP to help the conversation between two cardiologists and she could understand the jargon discussed between them and she couldn't really understand the discussion. So it's also important to understand the audience on different kinds of academic discussions, not only in academic institutions, but in the workplace as well. Inclusivity is really, really important, but at the same time is equally important to hold precise discussions, especially on scientific matters. So I would love to hear your views on that. I think there's two good points there. I think sort of firstly, it's kind of about knowing how to pitch to your audience and say, for example, the lecture or say 
especially in LSU, you'll have to do presentations, for example. Maybe towards the beginning, you try and be a bit, you know, more simpler. But as you build up on your knowledge base and you feel more confident, maybe there's, you know, room to throw in that jargon. And as Angeliki mentioned, the cardiology example, I think that's really interesting. For me, having sort of a background in, in medical school, we're taught, you know, specifically to communicate to people because people understand things in different ways and it's really important people know what's being said to them for example if you're talking about blood pressure you want to know why you know it's high in your own terms because it's your health and if you if you kind of pitch that at the same sort of level for for research you know it's your research you you have ownership over that and you want to let people know what it is on their own your terms so i think pauline gave an example about a conversation she had and she mentioned you know saying her research is in labor standards of global garment supply chains and that sounds like hieroglyphics you know but then she said you know if she simplified it a bit and said it's about the working conditions um, of people who make the clothes that you wear then you say well that's super interesting you know where are you sourcing cotton from what are the labor standards here are there human rights violations etc etc and it sparks more of a conversation so I don't know okay this came to me right now Angeliki I don't know about your dissertation maybe see if you can pitch it in a way that I'd understand oh wow you I made it difficult for me in this podcast yeah <laughs> taking into consideration that I also follow the development economic specialism within my masters it definitely has some more challenging terms to follow because of the economic side of the research to break it down more simply I am researching on international immigrants the national immigration particularly women who are coming from countries such as the Philippines and Indonesia and they're working abroad as domestic workers what I'm trying to see on my research is whether the money these immigrants international immigrants and sending back to their countries of origin are helping out their families and their children and particularly I am looking into their children and whether this money that the mothers are sending are facilitating their education, school, their knowledge and their educational outcomes in general. So this is how I would describe my thesis theme. I find, First of all, I find that topic super interesting. I read a book, a fictional book called Songbirds by Christy Lefteri. It's about uh, Sri Lankan immigrant workers in uh, Cyprus who work as, you know, domestic workers there and how they sort of send remittances back home. I think, I'm not sure if there was an incident in Cyprus uh, a, a few years ago about, you know, the treatment of these women. It's interesting to see maybe, you know, how that's, you know, looked at in a more in a more academic way. So I wish you well. Oh, thank you uh, so much. I put you on the spot now. I'm going to have to try and do as, as good a job as you did. So in South Africa, the problem of intimate partner violence, which is essentially, you know, domestic violence, gender violence, things like, you know, abuse and, and controlling partners is, is quite prevalent in society. So I wanted to adopt more of a sort of healthcare way of looking at 
thing. So I wanted to see why the healthcare services either aren't accessed by these women who have survived this abuse or why they're insufficient to help these women. For example, economic power, women to leave abusive relationships, or maybe from the side of the healthcare service itself, programs are quite isolated. So instead of maybe looking at violent alcohol, they look at it separately. So people kind of fall through the cracks of it. So hopefully by kind of synthesizing and putting all of these themes together, it will be interesting to see what's the common reason why this service isn't run as well as it could be run. That sounds extremely interesting. <laughs> hopefully that will motivate me as I write. Of course. And going back to your point about academic jargon and complex language used in academic papers, there is also another discussion the last couple of years, particularly in the European Union, where lots of institutions are publishing their reports, their policy recommendations, their views, and most of the times the language used is very complicated and complex. And there are lots of discussions around the ways that even though these are all published and the access is open, they might not be that accessible for all the citizens around Europe or overseas people because of the difficulty facing when reading them as they're quite scientific. It's not only academia that is facing that problem, it's also institutions, the workplace as well. Do you have any ideas on how potentially at least the academic institutions would improve this problem actually and solutions that can overcome this barrier of accessibility, openness of language? I think first of all the field of development should be accessible to everyone because it concerns everyone. I mean at LSC for example we have health and development, we have development studies, environmental development. It's really intersectional and you know it affects everyone. Global warming, poverty, it concerns everyone so we shouldn't be made to feel that we don't understand and I think that's something that governments and organizations can sometimes use against us and say you know you don't really understand what's going on. Secondly it's important to understand that there's loads of different languages for example you mentioned reports uh, translated into different languages so people feel that it's addressing them as well you know a policy brief about climate change in America should be accessible to someone in Nigeria who's not speaking English wants to know how this policy sort of formulated by people at the round table in another country is going to affect you know their trade and their life in a way this podcast can be accessible I think one of the appeals of was that it was more informal it's just two students talking didn't need to feel that a professional is going to come and maybe talk in, a, in complex jargon and maybe make you feel that you didn't know as much as you thought you knew so I think some podcasts can be accessible to learn about development and also blogs we've seen quite a few well-written LSE blogs that are talking about contemporary things all the time and I've quite enjoyed reading them accessible knowledge is important and knowledge is power all these points are really really important and I completely agree with you Ziyad and I think that it's really important for uh, people in an institution to understand ways that they can improve in order to provide you with all the tools needed for your academic development so again this is something that myself has done in the past and I've discussed it with many fellow students and they've done the same they've reached out to professors they asked lots of questions they went to LSE Life 
for example, and they attended workshops to develop themselves and feel comfortable and enjoy the academic experience because the point is not only to learn but to enjoy at the same time. That's a great point. I think all these avenues, professors, one-to-one mentors, LSE workshop, and I think it just comes back to what you have to be, you know, brave enough to admit that you need help. And when you admit that to yourself, you can begin to enjoy learning a lot more and you don't need to feel shut out and you can have a much, much more positive experience. Of course, when we're asking for help, we're asking for help because the method used is not potentially fitting our needs. So we're trying to find another method and another route to develop ourselves. Asking for help is really important and it opens ways for discussion and connection that you might haven't thought in the past. So be open, connect and reach out to academic staff to make sure that you're enjoying your academic studies. So this was our theme for today. Hope you enjoyed it. Finishing up, we would like to mention that our podcast, Humans of ID, is uh, meant to be an accessible podcast that anyone can listen and learn more about development. We would love to hear more from you and please let us know if there is anything to improve on. Until next time, have fun!